0: Now, last week, last week we learned that the gospel goes to three different individuals. This week in chapter 17, we learned that the gospel goes to not only individuals, but to different groups entirely. So give your attention to God's word. We're going to read Acts chapter 17. We're going to read from verse 1 down through verse 15. If you're willing and able, let's stand together for this morning's scripture reading. This is God's word. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken, when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Father, would you take this word now and would you use it to change our hearts? In Jesus' name, we pray. Into the deep blue of the ocean, more and more scuba divers are using what's called an ascent and descent line when they go into the water. And they use this slide because it helps them have security when they're going into deep, dark, murky waters. Because if you've ever scuba dived, you know one of the worst things that can happen to you is a symptom called vertigo. Vertigo is when you feel nauseous inside, it's when you get dizzy. The symptoms of vertigo is that you begin to panic in the water because you get so disoriented sometimes you literally can't tell which way is up or down because of the way gravity changes your body in the water. And the Ascent and descent line is helpful for people when they're diving because it helps them have a physical reference point when they're lost at sea. And many people know that when you are in the midst of vertigo, if you've ever seen it, you can, um, it's terrifying Because if you've ever been in the midst of vertigo, if you've ever seen somebody in vertigo, you know that basically they begin to thrash in the water. They begin to freak out. They start to grab their hoses. They're panicking because they are totally lost in the water. Sometimes you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. The water can be so murky. And if you've ever seen it, then you know that the only way to help somebody in the midst of their vertigo is to literally swim to that person and take them by the hand and to lead them back to the rope. Acts chapter 17 is the premier passage. It's the premier chapter in all of Scripture where we learn how Paul shares the gospel with the intellectuals. It is the place where Paul helps intellectual people in the midst of the murky waters of all the philosophies of life. He takes them by the hand and he leads them back to the rope. And what Acts chapter 17 shows us is that even though their objections to Christianity often are very intellectual on the surface, beneath that front are deep, deep emotional needs of being wounded and of fear. And those fears erupt into insecurity, and even, as you just heard as I read the Scripture, into violence. Listen, do you have the rope? Like, we live in murky waters, and even when the ocean is perfectly clear for us, it's easy to lose the boat. Do you have the rope? In this chapter, we're going to see in the first half of it that The gospel comes to two very different groups of people. It comes to the religious, and it comes to the curious. All right? Let's think about it together. The reason why this passage is so helpful to us is because just this morning, just this morning, I needed to preach this gospel again to myself, this passage again to myself. Because I came to church this morning, and I realized when I got here early this morning that I didn't have the bulletins, now, bulletins aren't that big of a deal, but when you really depend on them for church, they become a big deal. And I knew that bulletins were in my office, and I knew that the key to my office was actually at my house. And so what did I do? Well, like, you know, what, you begin to say, Lord, you're in control. I, no, I freaked out. And I ran and got on the phone, and I called somebody to say, where's my key to my office? Oh, it's at my house. Oh, it's my, oh. So then I go to my house. And I tell Laura, like, where's the key to my office? And she goes, it's right here. And I run to my office and I go get those bulletins. And I rush to church as though the Lord really needed me to make sure his people heard from him. though so he really, he didn't. But I thought he did. And I needed to remember that the reason why a lot of people don't come to church in Owasso, quite frankly, is not because they have intellectual arguments. It's because of how crazy and foolish and insecure the religious people are in this town. Like the reason why Paul goes into the synagogue in Acts chapter, well, all the way through Acts, and particularly here, and Luke says it was his custom, is because he knows, Paul knows, that if you can win the religious in a given area, the secular will also come. Because the reason why people, like just last Friday night, I was, I was at Bricktown Brewery talking to a guy, and I invited him here. And I could tell the moment I talked to him about Trinity, his whole demeanor changed because, oh, you're part of the religious crowd. So... The gospel comes to to the religious. (laughs) I need it so bad. Paul travels from Philippi to Thessalonica, which is about 100 miles west along a route in the ancient Near East called the Ignatian Way. It went just south of Bulgaria to the northern part of modern-day Greece. And as was his custom, he goes to the synagogue and he goes first to the religious Jews of Thessalonica. And if you've ever met a religious person, right, you know there are really two kinds of religious people. There are the guilty and there are the grumpy. You know what I'm talking about. Like the guilty. There, there is this old image in uh, John Bunyan, this great Baptist writer preacher wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress that was turned into a children's book many many years ago and illustrated and this is one of the illustrations from the book and here is John Bunyan's picture of the pilgrim walking through life and what is he carrying he's carrying all of his shame and all of his guilt and all of his sins on his back and what does he have in his hand He's reading the Bible, trying to figure out how can he carry this in a way that helps God love him more? How can he bear his burden in a way that God will finally see him and say, oh, well, let me lift it off of you. And do you know what this guy's name is in the book? What's his name? Christian. Because there are thousands of us in town who are bearing our burdens who are bearing our shame and who are walking through life just wondering, if I can only read the right passage, if I can only carry it the right way, then I'll finally get to my destination. Have you guys seen that, um, that Gatorade commercial um, that, um, by Peyton Manning, this new one? Have you seen this one, this Gatorade commercial, where a guy walks into the convenience store and he, he goes to the refrigerator and he grabs a Gatorade and he comes and he puts it down on the counter and a clerk, you know, is, you know, is doing something. He looks up at the man and he says... I'm sorry, sir, I can't, I can't, um, I can't let you buy that. And the guy looks like we do. He's got like, you know, his work clothes on. And he goes, no, no, quit fooling around, man. I'm thirsty. You know, just ring me up. And he goes, no, I'm sorry, sir. I I don't see any sweat. (laughs) And they go, he says, what do you mean you don't see any sweat? He goes, that's Gatorade. It has electrolytes in it. And electrolytes are for people who sweat. I don't see any sweat. I can't ring that up. And the guy goes, no, 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 no. Like, just, just, I just want to get the Gatorade. And the guy goes, well, let me go get my manager. And so he goes in the back and he gets his manager and who walks out, you know, but, but Peyton Manning, you know, wearing like, you know, a little convenience store shirt. And he says, hey, what's up? And the guy goes, yeah, I want to um, buy the Gatorade. And Peyton Manning goes, oh, I'm sorry. No, you got to sweat it to get it. And so much of our life, So much of our life in the church has been, you got to sweat it to get it. Like you got to come to church, you got to get yourself all lathered up spiritually. Like you got to sing the right songs. You got to stay in tune. You got to, you got to like, you know, wear yourself out to do the religious stuff in order for God to say, look how great he is. And you begin to feel better about yourself when you're sweating. When you sweat it, you can get it. That's what Paul is trying to help people understand when he goes to the synagogue, because it says, he said it was necessary for the Christ to sweat it so that you could get it. No, no, it says to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. The word Christ there is the Greek word for anointed. It means that Paul is going to the place that they held in the highest authority. They held the Old Testament in supreme authority. And he goes to the one place that they know, without a shadow of a doubt, teaches them what is true about the world. And Paul uses the lens of the Old Testament to say, What do you think Isaiah 53 is about? He was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities or friends in the synagogue, what do you think Psalm 22 was about? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Paul proclaims to them, he tells them all of the Old Testament, every story, every prophet, every psalm points to Jesus who has come. And you, Christian, do not need to continue to bear your load like Christian on his progressive journey to the celestial city. But you need to recognize that Jesus is the one who bears your load for you. You cannot, as Peyton Manning said, sweat it to get it. You can't sweat enough. But there is one who sweat it for you. It's like there's another Gatorade commercial where Cam Newton actually walks in. In the same series of commercials, and Cam comes in from the sweaty workout, <laughs> and he walks in, and this guy is arguing with the, with the, a different dude arguing with the same, the same uh, clerk, and uh, and the guy goes, "I'm sorry, I can't buy that for you." And then Cam Newton walks in; and he's just dripping with sweat, and he goes, um, "But that guy can get a Gatorade." <laughs> And Cam Newton walks up to this dude. You know, he's like a little guy with glasses. You know, he looks like, you know, he's, you know, he's working somewhere. He doesn't sweat very much. And Cam, this big old six foot, you know, six guy grabs the guy's head and goes. <laughs> now he can get it. <laughs> and that's what Jesus does for you. He grabs you and he puts your head in his bosom and he wipes all of his. His righteousness is enough for you. He covers you with his sweat. The Bible just happens to call that sweat the blood. You know the most famous doctrine that Americans believe about the Bible? What is the most famous doctrine that every American, 53% of Americans says that this is the central doctrine of the Bible? What is it? God helps those who help themselves. You know what's amazing about that doctrine? It's not in the Bible. And what Paul is telling these guys in Thessalonica is that God actually helps those who cannot help themselves. Do you believe that? Do you have the rope? And this vicious cycle of shame and repeated failure to live up to the standards makes us seek deeper, deeper, deeper into despair. And we know very little, if anything, of the love of God because we haven't earned it, we say. Is this you? Christian, are you lost in the murky water with vertigo? disoriented do you have the rope the other kind of religious people aren't the guilty they're the grumpy and we all know these kinds of people too they're the ones who are blind the guilty are the ones who are weighed down by their mistakes of the past the grumpy are the ones who are blind to their mistakes in the present they're the ones who look down their nose at people because they're just not perfect like they are. They're the ones, you know what, they haven't read the right books. And if you listen to the podcasts I've listened to, well, then you would know. They're the kind of people that just drive you nuts. And they drive you nuts, quite frankly, because you're so much like them. I'm so much like them. In verse 6, it shows us why this happened. It says the guilty and grumpy are overcome with jealousy. And when you don't understand what you have, then you cannot understand what has been given to you. What does he say in verse 6? He says, and when they could not find, oh, verse 5, rather, the Jews were jealous. And they were so jealous that it breaks out into violence against Jason, the one who had housed Paul, Silas, and Timothy. The grumpy people are hard to be around. And you don't stay grumpy for long. You know why? Because you get violent. You get violent in your anger toward other people. You're probably w- well healed enough to not get violent physically or get into trouble with the law. But you get angry at people. You begin to judge your spouse because they're not doing it like you want. You begin to get angry at your neighbors because for whatever reason, they're just not as good as you. They didn't go to your school. They didn't, you know, do as well in class. They don't make as much money or they make too much money. Whatever it is, you find a thousand different ways to spin your insecurities. There is an old Flannery O'Connor short story called Revelation, Flannery O'Connor is an old Southern writer. She was Roman Catholic, lived in Georgia in a very Protestant state. She wrote very insightfully, particularly about the nature of evangelical Protestants in the South back in the 40s and 50s. And there's a story she tells in this short story called Revelation where there's a lady named Ruby Turpin whose husband, Claude, has been kicked by a cow. And so they go to the doctor together. And at the doctor, they're in the waiting room full of all these people who are waiting for the doctor. And, and the story goes where one by one, she begins to say, no, she's pitiful. He deserves to be sick. I wouldn't even hang out with that person. And one by one, she begins to look down her nose and her arrogance and her pride at everybody in there. And there's one lady she calls the pleasant lady who's like her. And she has a daughter named Mary Grace who's reading a human development textbook because she's in college. And she's talking to this lady, and Mary Grace is trying to read, and Mary Grace gets angry that her mother and this lady keep talking, and Mary Grace at one point slams the book and throws the book at Ruby Turpin and says, you are an old warthog. Would you just shut up about other people? And she is shocked. She's hit in the head by this book, and she can't believe the arrogance and the audacity, and then and then she 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 finally takes her husband and they go home. They leave the, they leave the place because she doesn't want to be around people like that. And she goes home and she goes to what she calls her pig parlor, where she cleans the pigs. And as she's at the pig parlor, at the very end of the short story, she's with these dirty animals, right? And she's cleaning the pigs and she sees the sun setting and she has a vision, a vision of heaven and of Jesus looking down at the good ruby turpin And all of a sudden, all the people in front of Ruby going to heaven are the people that are in that waiting room that she looked down her nose at. And she realizes at the very end of the story that she is the arrogant religious type that she cannot stand. She is like the dirty pigs who don't even deserve to be clean. Religion will make you feel guilty or it will make you feel grumpy. And it will make you fiercely jealous of other people because you haven't measured up to the law that you've created in your own heart. And sometimes you can even help the gospel. You can make the gospel a law because you can say, it's knowledge that Jesus does the work for me. That's what I need to believe. And you can come to Trinity again and again and hear this, and it can subtly become a way that you use actual teaching as kind of a works righteousness, but you're not actually repenting. Satan is so clever. And he's helping you, instead of having a soft heart, he's helping your heart be hardened again and again and again. Friends, you've got, you've got to recognize that we all deserve to be at the back of the line. And that with the only way we get it is because he sweat it. Do you have the rope? Are you disoriented? Do you know which way is up? Do you know your Savior loves you? He, he, goes, he goes from um, verse uh, 9 and he moves to verse 10. The brothers are run out of town because the Jews get so angry at Paul, Silas, and Timothy that they have to get out. So they were in Thessalonica probably for a number of months. Luke just summarizes their visit in three different weeks as he preaches to them. And they go to a place called Berea. And what does he find at Berea? He doesn't find religious people there. He finds curious people. And it's the Bereans who he goes to the synagogue, the same strategy. He goes to the religious people. But these religious people actually are very curious. It says that they were, of no, of more, noble, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica, which means they were more generous. They were more open-minded to the fact that maybe I don't have it all figured out. And Paul preaches the same sermon to them. What do you think Isaiah 53 is about? What do you think that Psalms are about? Who do you think Moses points us to? He points us to the one who is to come, who doesn't stand at the edge of the land overlooking salvation for his people, but he goes to the precipice of death for his people so that we might enter the land of his forgiveness. It's Jesus. And these Bereans are blown away. And they search and they search and they search and they search and they go and they examine the scriptures, it says, to see if the things Paul were saying were so. Are you hungry like that? Do you know there's a rope? Are you allowing people to bring you to it? Search the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true. The Bereans were more noble. That is, not that they were better people. They were just generous. That's what all the word means in Greek. And when they learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, the Jews came and they agitated the crowds. These Jews were on such a high horse, they went 50 miles away to Berea just to push Paul further away. And eventually Paul has to go either by boat or by land. We're not clear, but he goes down the coast several hundred miles to Athens. We'll we'll look at it next week. But the Bereans were the curious, and they were different from the religious. How were they different? They were different in the way that art scholars look at Vincent van Gogh's paintings differently. Have you ever ever seen a picture by van Gogh? Here's a picture of van Gogh. Van Gogh was looking at Rembrandt's painting of The Rising of Lazarus, which we will look at in our new members class because it's a beautiful old painting. This was Vincent van Gogh's way of trying to imitate that painting so he writes it in the Van Gogh style that he's so famous for. But you notice something about the man who's raised from the dead. Vincent Van Gogh, when he was doing this drawing, the last face he put on that drawing was the man who was rising from the dead was Lazarus. And do you know, art scholars will tell you, do you know whose face he paints on the resurrected Lazarus? It's Van Gogh's face. And the difference between the religious and the curious is that we look at Scripture and we see the Old Testament, and do you know who we see missing the mark? Ourself. And we see that Jesus is the one who is rising us out of the grave because of his righteousness. And we see ourselves as the one who needs to be resurrected. Do you? Friends, that is what it means to be a Christian. Not that you have it all together, but that you are Lazarus and that your face is on the face of the dead man who needs to be raised from the dead. Do you see yourself in the story? Do you have a grip on the rope? Listen, if you've come to Trinity for a while, and you're new here, and you're not yet plugged in, listen, if you're curious about these things, keep coming. Keep coming and exploring these things with us. Keep coming to worship. Go to community group. You know, mine meets at 4.30 tonight at my house. You are welcome to come. The Keltner's is going on at 5.30 tonight. You are welcome to come. Others you can find on the website. We, we want you to keep coming to learn about it with us. If you're a lady, come to the ladies' Bible study. Come join the ladies' retreat this weekend Keep coming. Keep your curiosity going. Examine these things to see if it's true. Listen, because it, it, so many of us are like the pastor that I met not long ago who told me the story when he was in fourth grade. He was the smartest kid in his class until one day he got sick and he was out of school for several weeks. And he comes back and they give a math test on the first day he comes back. And he gets his test back and he failed his test. And the teacher writes on the board his name. And he gets nauseous and he feels ill and he gets a headache and he he goes to the nurse and the nurse calls his mother and the mother takes him home and says, I'm sorry, I don't think he's over his illness yet, but he he knew exactly why he was sick. It wasn't because he was sick. It was because he saw his name written on the board. And this man vowed in fourth grade, I will never have my name written on the board again because it filled him with shame. And he's lived his whole life and his whole ministry trying to get out of that shame. Is that you? Paul says we are united to Christ in his death. The Heidelberg Catechism says, how are you righteous before God? Answer, only by true faith in Christ. And although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all of God's commands, have never kept any of them and am still inclined to all evil. Yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never never had nor committed any sin and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which, which Christ has rendered for me if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Children, do you accept that gift with a believing heart? Teenagers, do you accept that gift with a believing heart? Adults, parents, grandparents, retirees. Jesus brings you to the rope. Jesus brings you to himself because he's the only place you can possibly be secure Otherwise, your insecurity will erupt like the religious into deep insecurities and fears of being wrong and violence. Are you curious? Jesus is at work in your heart. Do you want to know what he's doing? Go to him in repentance and trust and listen. The good news of the gospel is that there is hope in the murky waters because Jesus has tethered himself to us. And you cannot untether yourself to Jesus. Just try to unchoose Jesus, please. Try to unchoose God. You can't. He has tied himself to you and he will get you back to safety because he is the one to accomplish for you what you never could have accomplished by yourself. Run to him in repentance and look to him as a beautiful savior that he is who loves you and he wants to give you rest in his work. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now? Even though we live in a very religious subculture, help us to be wary of the tendencies of religion that make us guilty or grumpy. And to find that in you, O oh Jesus, you give us a thirst because you've called us to hear from you. You act for us because we could never sweat it to get it. And you bring us to the rope so that we can find safety in you. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.